series this morning on this book. Now somebody may ask, why study an old book like Exodus? You know, we are New Testament Christians. Um, we want to get into the New Testament. Why go back and look at an old book like this um, going up towards Christmas? This book in Exodus. You know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, we used to have some really strange sweets when I was a kid. We used to have these funny flying saucers, you know, that used to have some kind of sherbet in it. I kind of describe it, it's like eating cardboard, you know, <laughs> with something sweet inside. You know, and then there was other funny sweets. One of the sweets called a gob stopper, right? That was, you put it in your gob. And I had friends who broke their teeth on sweets like that, you know. But there's other sweets that you avoid, you know, like these blackjacks and, 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 and some licorice all sorts. I know some of you might like that. But, you know, so you pick what you want and you leave what you don't want. Some people come to the Bible like that. They come to the Bible and say, you know what, I like the New Testament and I'll just pick something out of the Old Testament and I love the Psalms and I love a little bit of, you know, uh, Proverbs and I'll pick out what I like in the Old Testament but I'll leave the rest. But you can't come to God's Word like a pick and mix selection. It is God's whole Word. And so we come into the book of Exodus. Now, I'm not going to dive into the whole book, but I'm going to give you an overview. Why should we study the book of Exodus? Three reasons. The first reason why I want to study the book of Exodus is because it's about slavery. When you first open the book of Exodus, you do not find a people living in their own land with their own army a people with their own home. When you open the book of Exodus, you find a people who are in slavery. You read the verse, the first verse in, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithon and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. Slave masters, slavery is never a good picture. And this is what you have in the opening chapters of Exodus. You have slavery all over the place. Children and women forced to work without pay. Men and young men forced to work is not a good picture. Slavery is always an embarrassment in our history. You go over to 1975, 1979, Pol Pot over in Cambodia forced all of his people out from the cities into the fields because he wanted to grow his own food so they didn't have to rely on foreign aid. And he forced his people out from the cities into the fields to work. And then they became slaves. And children and women and men were killed in the hundreds in the killing fields 
of Cambodia, 1975 through to 1979. We can talk about the slave trade, which Great Britain was a part of. Ships sailed from England over to Africa, from Africa over to America and the West Indies, carrying slaves. And on those ships, the, um, the situation was so awful that babies and young children, if they cried or they were sick, was thrown overboard. And you think all that is bad and it is bad, but you know something? Slavery is still happening today. In London, I was watching a documentary only this week of wealthy families in the central of London that have young women, normally from the Philippines, in slave labor. Their passport is taken away from them. Their freedom is taken away from them. They're forced to work for rich and wealthy families. And some of these young women are raped continually in those homes in central London. Slavery is miserable business. It takes away the will of a person. It takes away their freedom, their liberty, their voice. Slavery engulfs a person's life and nails them down so they cannot do anything of their own accord. Slavery is very, very bad. And the New Testament will say, you see this slavery in, the, in Exodus, you see that? The New Testament will say this. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death. Jesus makes it a little bit clear. That's a bit confusing for you. Let Jesus make it a bit clear for you. In John 8, 44, 34, Jesus says these words. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins, everyone who sins, says Jesus, is a slave to sin. Whoever commits sin, in other words, sin has this domination over you. Whatever course sin wants to take, it will take you along with it. You have no will of your own. You have to do what the sin inside you want you to do. It seems to drive you all the time. Sin is a cruel master. It does not care who it destroys. It will destroy marriages. It will destroy children. It will destroy old people. It is no regard for the very young or the very old. In some part of, um, of, of, um, of Africa, men name healthy children, cut off their hands and their feet so that they can beg and get more money for the family. Healthy children are, are named and, and destroyed simply because of sin. And in our world, in our society, we know that children are sexually abused. All driven by sin. 
And who holds that power? Who wields that temptation to cause you to sin? You know it's Satan. He is no regard, no regard of, of a person. He, he doesn't care. Although people think that being bad is good, it's not. Michael Jackson, I've sang the song many times when I was young, walking down the street singing, I'm bad, I'm bad, you know it. I wonder if Michael Jackson would have had a same hit if he sang the song differently. If he sang it, I'm good, I'm good, you know it. I wonder if people would buy it. Probably not, because people think being bad is actually being good. But Satan wants you to be bad. He wants you. And when you live a life where sin leads and guides and directs you, thinking that being bad is actually something to boast about, you will wake up with his evil grin all over your life. He will drive you like a hard task master. He will cause you not to stop on one sin, but go on and on and on, all the time, pushing you and driving you. Look at the testimony of someone in the Bible, in Proverbs. This is a testimony of a man who likes to drink. And uh, it comes out in Proverbs. Solomon writes, and he says this, Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Satan, you may know that this is bad for you. You may know this is not good for you. But he drives you and drives you and drives you again and again. Satan will drive you hard and will keep you blind to the truth. Paul speaks and Paul says this. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Their minds, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded their minds so they don't see the badness, they don't see the awfulness, they don't see the consequences of the sin. Their minds are completely blind to it and they cannot see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they continue being driven and being slaves to sin. Often people think they're having a good time but he's all over their mind. He's like one of these viruses. That on the outside you cannot see any problem. But a virus on the inside eats away at you. Whatever virus you might want to think about. Call it cancer. Call it other bits of virus. Inside they're ugly. And they eat away at you. And on the outside you look like you're doing alright. Satan is like a virus. Sin is like a virus. 
that eats away and destroys you from the inside. If you go to London last night, you see people all dressed up, all partying, all going left, right and centre, and you think, oh, these people look all well and healthy. Sin is at work, doing its damage in them. Being a slave is miserable business. Whether you go back to Pol Pot days, whether you go further back to the slave of the Africans, or whether you go into the slave trade over in London, it's miserable business. Nobody wants to be a slave. And yet, in our society, every single man and woman is a slave to sin. Exodus, that's why we're going to study it, speaks about slavery. The second thing that Exodus speaks about, it also speaks about deliverance. The word Exodus actually means a mass departure of people. And God was going to do a, a mass departure of people from slavery, and in Exodus we'll find that they will enter into the promised land. That is a, 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 a short description of what God does for his church. In one sentence, out of slavery into the promised land. And in Exodus, we see that being fleshed out. We've seen that being worked out through the book of Exodus. But before this happens, before there's that Exodus, that deliverance from the departure from a, a mass of people to somewhere else, before we see that, something needs to take place. That's very, very important. There must be an unhappiness with life as it stands. I will go further and say there must be a deep, painful sorrow over the weight of sin. There has to be. There has to be a real, genuine disgust, sadness, sorrow. That we are under the oppression and the slavery of sin. There must be that. And we see it in, in Exodus. Because look at what we read over in chapter 2. During that long period, a king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned. That's a strong word. I wish I knew Hebrew. Because I can pull a lot out of that. But I don't know Hebrew. But I know it's a good word. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and they cry for help because of their slavery went up to God the people groaned that was a deep despair they had they had no words it was painful it was hard it was oppressive being a slave and they had no voice no freedom, no liberty. They were crushed by the weight of their slavery, which caused them to groan. And this groaning manifests itself 
by a cry to God. Here is where we see the real exodus. The real mass departure of people starts with this groaning. It starts with people recognizing that I can't take this anymore. I can't take these chains anymore. I can't take this slavery anymore. Every day we feel the whip of the slave master. Every day we go out and we, we make bricks and we build these things for Pharaoh. Then we come home and we have nothing to show for it. Every day my children are suffering. My wife's working. Every day I'm groaning. It's not pleasant. I'm not happy. I'm crying out to God. There's a groaning going on in Egypt. And these people are crying out because of their slavery. You know, if you want to go, if you can, you can go through the whole Bible. And you will find many Christian men and women groaning. Go through the Bible, you'll find them. Over the weight of their sin. David is a prime example. David thought he could hide his sin. He thought he can do what he wanted to do and keep it under wraps, keep it covered up. But he writes over in Psalm um, 32, when I kept silent, when I tried to keep my sin covered up, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I was hiding my sin. I was keeping my sin to myself. I was doing the things that I want. But Lord, your hand was heavy on me and it caused me to groan. Groan because of my sin. He goes on to say in another psalm, my wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I've acted so sinfully. I've done stupid things. My sinful folly has caused me to be wounded. I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long, I go about mourning. My back is filled with shearing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. These men are speaking about sin in their lives. They're speaking about the fact that sin has caused them no end of grief and sadness and it's caused them to groan. Let's move away from David and speak and look at a man called Ezra. He, he writes and he says this, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel that your sin is higher than your head? Do you ever feel that when you think about the failings and the sin in your life, you think, oh my, let me not think. If I think about it, I will never stop. There, there seem to be a huge burden, a huge boulder, higher than the heavens, says Ezra. And I have to say, Ezra was a good man. But the closer he gets to God, 
the more he saw of his sin. The further away you are from God, you think, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm okay. What's the big fuss? I've got one or two little problems, but I can sort that. But the closer you get to God, the more of his light shines into your life. And the more of his light that shines into your life, you begin to speak like Ezra. I cannot even look up to you, O oh God. My sins are higher than my head. Jeremiah was not far from it himself. Let us lie down in our shame and let our disgrace cover us. We have sinned against the Lord our God. Both we and our ancestors from our youth until this day, we have not obeyed the Lord our God. Today, the church not just this church, but the church all over the UK, the church is very, very far from this. Today, people want God for other reasons. They want God in their lives to make life easier. They want God in their lives as an insurance policy. I'm not too sure if there's a heaven or hell, but let me be a Christian because if I'm a Christian, I can just make sure I guarantee to go here. Other people see God as a protection racket. Oh, I have God in my life. So let me sprinkle the blood of Jesus around my house. And he will protect me and my family. But they do not come to God. They do not come to God like these men come to God. They do not come to God like the men in, and the women in, in, in Exodus who realized that their slavery was so oppressive, that sin was so all-encompassing that they needed to groan that God might deliver them. That is why it's important to look at a book like this. Because it reminds us and it shows us that we must never be comfortable with slavery in sin. Never be comfortable being guided and being run by the enemy. Never be comfortable just cherishing sin and hiding it under our pillow and keeping it in a secret. Never be comfortable with sin. Why? Because sin causes us to be a slave and a follower of Satan. Therefore, this groaning should be a part of the church. John mentioned last week, and I, and I love that message he preached about being thirsty for the filling of the Holy Spirit and how we need him. But before we cry out for the filling of the Holy Spirit, my dear friends, there must be a groaning of sin. I don't like being a slave. Oh God, I don't like sin in my life. There must be a groaning as we see these men in the Bible. So that's the second reason why God has led me to speak to you about the book of Exodus. But the third and final thing that I want to speak to you this morning is about character. The third reason why the New Testament Christians should be studying an Old Testament book like Exodus is because it reveals the true nature and character of God. Now Moses asked God, as he was walking with God, I'm, I'm looking forward to coming to chapter 34, it's one of my best chapters in the Bible, um, especially in, in this book, 
But as Moses was um, walking with God, he, he speaks to God. He says to God, God, show me your glory. And God decided to show him his glory by telling him his name. I don't know if you ever met somebody or you know somebody you've been, um, you see them going past you at work or you see them in your local area. You say hi to them as you go past them. They might be walking the dog. But when you stop them and say to them, what is your name? You take your relationship into another level. No longer are you saying, hi, hi, hi. You take it to another level. That person tells you their name and they reveal something about them. My name is Jack. My name is Jerry. My name, and you, and you begin to know something about them. Well, God said, um, Moses said to, Mo, uh, to God, you know, show me your glory. And maybe you might think God will show him fireworks, you know, and angels and, and spectacular display. Look at my glory. God doesn't do that. God says, no, no, I will, I will show you my glory. I will give you my name. And this is what God says. You need to go to Exodus 34. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for their sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Exodus 34 tells us something about the character of God. When the people cried out because of their slave masters and because of their slavery, we read these words. God heard their groaning. He heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned. God looked at them and he was concerned. Their cries came up before him and he wasn't indifferent. He wasn't asleep. He wasn't on a holiday or busy. He was concerned. He remembered his promise. And when God remembers his promise, when God is concerned, something happens. When God looks upon you and he sees you crying out, groaning under the burden of your sin, under slavery, God is concerned. And his character comes out in full display. The Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, forgiving rebellion, wickedness and sin. I'm going to come to you as a compassionate God. I'm going to come to you as a forgiving God. I'm going to come to you as a God who is slow to become angry with you. I'm going to come to you. When you come to me groaning, when you come to me moaning about the slavery of sin that you're under, I'm going to meet you with compassion. Hallelujah. And I'm going to forgive you. 
and cleanse you from sin. See, you and I need to understand how utterly sinful we are. We need to understand how much danger we are in. Whether we're sitting here or out there, we need to understand how much danger we are in. Apparently, some schools are not opening this week because they have been built with some substandard materials. And some government bodies are saying that, you know, if our children are in those schools, the building can collapse on them. So some schools are not opening this week. I remember the old, um, few years ago, that Grenfell Tower. People were in that tower for many, many years. And they were cooking and sleeping and, 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 and having family and doing everything in that tower, in those flats, for many, many months. But they didn't know how much danger they were in until a bottom flat caught on fire. And the whole material that surrounded that building went up in smoke. Today, people do not realize that when you play with sin, when you allow sin to rule in your life, they don't realize how much danger they are in. Because God himself is calling on his church to come out of this dangerous situation and to groan and to cry out and to ask him for mercy and when you do that he will come and he will take you out of danger out of the Grenfell Tower situation and he will place you into his kingdom and he will surround you with his compassion surround you with his grace surround you with his mercy once you're in his kingdom then his anger towards sin is totally at peace because Jesus Christ has taken the full weight of your sin my dear friends if you're not a Christian today run to Christ let him take the weight of your sin let him break the chains of your slavery and cause you to be set free and if you are a Christian today and I know many of you are I will encourage you to speak like some of these men to speak like David to speak like Ezra and to cry out oh God I do not want sin to reign in me I want you to reign. May that be your cry. May that be my cry. As we go into the season of looking at the book of Exodus. Let's pray. Oh God, oh God. We definitely need your spirit in this place. We definitely need an outpouring of your spirit. As was proclaimed from this pulpit last week. But oh God Almighty, do not allow us to be happy with our relationship with sin. Do not allow us, oh God Almighty, to do what David did and to hide it under our pillows. To hide it in a secret place. Lord God Almighty, give us this 
groaning, this hatred for being a slave to sin, O oh God. May the chains this morning be broken off. May the desire that we used to have for sin and for wickedness be broken off, O oh God. Give us a desire to cry out to you for deliverance. That we might come out from Egypt. And that we might end up in the promised land. Oh God Almighty. Do that work in us we pray. That we might be a people. Oh God. Sanctified. Made holy. Being changed. Being transformed. Into your likeness. Oh God. Do that work. By your spirit. For we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.